All right. Well, John, we're jumping into something new, okay? So you guys know we've been through, what have we done this semester? What do we, do you guys remember we started with way back in uh, January? God is something. Explore God. Yeah, we were doing the Explore God series. You guys remember that? Seven weeks of those questions. And then we did the holiness, holiness series, right? So we did five weeks on the topic of holiness. And now we're going to do John. And John, if you guys notice, is a big book. It's going to take us from today all the way to September 1st, okay? So we're going to be studying John all summer long um, and covering the entire gospel, okay? Um, so I want to start by just saying, what in, when you hear that we're going to study the book of John, what does that tell you? What, what do you know about John? What do, you, what do you come in here thinking when you hear Gospel of John? What do you think we're going to be talking about? Prime, priming the pump is what this is called. Getting you speaking and thinking. Yes. Okay, so it's a gospel. What does that mean? What does the word gospel mean? Do we know what that word even means? Yeah? Good news. Okay, and more specifically, the good news about Jesus Christ, right? So when we say we're studying the book of John, we're studying who? The story, the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, let's see if we can go a little bit deeper, right? What do we know about the gospels? Sorry. What do we know about the gospels? Okay, so they're all accurate, but they all have kind of a unique perspective, right? And how many Gospels do we have? Do you guys know that one? Four, right? So we got four Gospels. What are they? Everybody at once. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Good. Thanks. You and me. We were clicking. Good. Um, so we got four Gospels. What, what would you say about John in comparison to the other Gospels? You guys have a feel for John at all? Yeah? So easiest to understand for newcoming believers, okay? So a lot of people say the first gospel you should read is John, right? You guys heard that before? When, when you say like, oh, the first book of the Bible, if you're a new Christian, you should read the book of John. Um, I wonder if it really is the easiest to understand. I've, I've read John, and if you've read John, you might, as we read through it, you might think, especially in today, you know, the, the start of John is like, oh, wow. Um, I think that there's more to why we tell people to read it than that it's just the easiest. I think there might be, be something else behind it, and we're actually going to get to that today. What else do you guys know about the book of John? Anything else come to mind? Yes? It's one of the ones where it doesn't start with Jesus. Right. So if we think about the way the different books start, there's a difference. So Matthew starts with this genealogy. And do you guys know who he traces Jesus' genealogy back to in Matthew? To David, that's right. So he, treats, he traces it back to David to make what point? That Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah. Okay? Because David, that's who the Messiah was going to be, the son of David. We get to Mark, which is the next one in our Bible, but maybe not the next one chronologically and when they were written. Do you guys know what Mark says about the beginning of Jesus? Not a lot. 
He just says, this is a story about Jesus, the Son of God. And he jumps right into John the Baptist. Okay, so he doesn't tell us a whole lot about the beginning. How about Luke? Luke has a genealogy. Do you know where Luke's genealogy goes back to? Adam. Yeah, so Luke goes, not just that he's the son of David, but he's the son of Adam. Okay, he traces it all the way back to Adam. And then we get to John, and we don't hear about David, we don't hear about Adam, we don't hear about any of this genealogy. He starts with, in the beginning was the word. So how far back does John go? All the way, way. (laughs) right? Into eternity past. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute here, okay? So John has this unique perspective jumping into it. Well, um, one of the things that's interesting about John is you're not going to find a lot of the stories that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Rabbit. Um, you're not going to find a lot of the stories that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is this really unique gospel in and of itself. And I'm going to start by introducing it in this way. So there's two types of stories, right? There's a type of story where you're just trying to tell the story and convey information. And then there's a type of story that is trying to make you do something based on the story. So you could use the example of the boy who cried wolf, right? You guys know that story? It's an ancient story. goes back in time. and It was originally written in Greek. And the story of the boy who cries wolf, we could just say the story. We could say there's this boy. He's kind of a trickster. He's supposed to be watching the sheep. He runs into town, thinks it'll be funny. Wolf, wolf, there's a wolf. Everybody comes running out with their pitchforks and everything to protect the sheep, and there's no wolf. And he does it again, and he does it again, and then finally your wolf really does come, and he runs into town, yells, wolf, wolf, and nobody comes. And we could just end the story right there. And the sheep are killed, and in some versions he's eaten as well, just so you know that. <laughs> Gets a little dark in some of these uh, old stories, right? Um, and you could just, you, you, that, that could be a news story, right? You could read that in the news and be like, that is really sad. This guy, you know, he just few practical jokes, and a wolf eats him. That's just, that's tragic. That's, I mean, I don't know if he deserved that. But that's not how that story ends, is it? The way the story ends is by saying, this shows how liars are rewarded, even if they tell the truth, no one will believe them. So the point of the story is not to just say there's this tragic tale of this guy who played a few jokes and then he got eaten by a wolf. The point of the story is to say, don't be a liar, because if you are, no one will believe you, and when you need a help, no one will come to your aid, right? So it's a story with a point, point. and so when we read the Gospel of John, John, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not that they don't have a point, they definitely have a point, but they are chronicling a lot of different things that Jesus did throughout his ministry. They're recounting his earthly ministry. John has this laser beam focus on a point that he wants to make as he tells you about Jesus. And everything that he puts in his gospel and things he doesn't put in his gospel is for the support of his point. He's driving at something. He wants the reader of his gospel to do something as they read the book. Okay? Does that make sense? So we're going to kind of explore what is that thing that he wants us to do. Well, let's start by reading our verse. We're going to do John 1 and 1 through verse 13 today. We're just going to go to 13. So listen carefully. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was a witness to bear witness. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Well, I think the easiest way to help us understand this, because this is kind of thick, is to start by thinking about a timeline. Okay, because John is walking us through a timeline here. And here's our little timeline. And, and there's two points that are really important here. There is creation, and then there's the incarnation. Do you guys know what that word means? Okay. Incarnation is, when, is, is the idea behind God becoming a man, taking on human flesh. Okay, he became incarnate is the word we use. Um, and, and it's God becoming human and coming down to earth. So you'll notice that our timeline has arrows, right? What do those arrows represent? Like, um, eternity, past, eternity, future. eternity past and eternity future, right? Because time didn't begin with creation. Like there's nothing and then the lights turned on and everything started, right? Time goes all the way back in eternity past and it goes all the way forward in eternity Future. And where John begins his gospel is an eternity past, okay? So let's look at verse 1 here. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Now you guys have studied your Bibles before, you know who he's talking about. But before we jump to conclusions, let's just let that be what that is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word, okay? What do you guys think of when you think of a Word? A little blip on a screen, you know, this, there's some words up there, there's a bunch of words up there, okay? So the word was in the beginning. When you hear in the beginning, does it call to mind anything else you've heard from the Bible? Yep. Genesis 1-1, this is how the whole Bible starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Right? So this, this sounds like creation language. And by saying, in the beginning was the word, is it saying, in the beginning, God created the word? No. no. In the beginning, at the beginning of the cosmos, in the beginning of time, the word already existed. So there's something about the word that is eternal, that exists all the way into the past. Okay, we're gonna, we gotta, so what John's giving us, Aaron, that's a great 
question is he's giving us three little phrases and each one helps us a little bit further along to understand what the word is, okay? So in the beginning was the word. So we know at creation, the word was already there. That's what we know. And then we go to the next phrase. The word was with God. The word was with God. If I say, yeah, don't jump to conclusions. We're not there yet, okay? If I say... You know, I was at the store and I was with Mike. What did I just tell you about myself? I was with him. Anything else that you can deduce from that? So what was that? I'm not Mike. Because I was with Mike. Right? Right? It just makes sense. I was with Mike. So I'm, I'm not Mike. Okay? So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. So did I just tell you that the word is not God? <gasps> probably don't need to jump to that conclusion. But who is he talking about when he talks about God here? Because he's got the word, he's got God. He's talking about God the Father, right? He's talking about God the Father. So the word was in the beginning and the word was with God the Father. So you've got God the Father and you've got the word. And what John is saying here is the word is somehow distinct from the Father. Does that make sense? He's a person just like the father is a person. But just in case we're about to say, well, then he's not God, guess what the next phrase is? The word was God. So he's given us these, these three phrases to help us understand what the word is. The word is eternal. He goes all the way back to beginning. The word is separate from God in that he's a different person than God the father. But he is God. Okay, And if you guys are like, the Trinity, I don't get it. Where do we get that idea? That's not in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Okay, That's, This is right where we're starting to get this idea of the Trinity coming out. Okay, So the Word is this eternal person, distinguished from the Father, but who is God. Now I want us to try to understand a little bit why John decides to use the Word to describe Jesus. Okay, So let's look at an illustration here. I want to talk through the difference between four different pictures here, okay? So first of all, we have this, right? Stop, all right? These are four letters. They make up a sound. That sound is stop, right? And, and, and it has, you know, we could say, you guys know what stop means, but let's say that you didn't speak English. And, and you would just, and, and I taught you how to say S-T-O-P, stop. And you had no understanding of what that meant. It would just be a word on a page, right? And then we can start to breathe meaning into that word. So what if we see this? Now, now we have some more context to it, right? We know that this is a stop sign. We know that this word in this way is telling you to do something, isn't it? And you know where you usually see it. You see it on the road. You see it on a bike path, right? And when you get to it, you know you're supposed to do something. But there's something limited about this word. Because you see that hole on the top and the bottom? That's used to screw that sign into a post. And that post is stuck in the ground. And so that post can only tell you to stop when you get to that intersection. Does that make sense? So that it's kind of limited. So then we can think of a word taking on even, even more life 
And we see this. What is this? This is a word bubble, right? So this, this version of stop can travel. This version of stop can come out of your mouth and it can be used in specific situations, right? right? You could hear over a loudspeaker, everybody stop. And, and, and it would not need to be in one place and one time on a sign. It can be spoken in a lot of different ways. But there's even one more way that's even more real to life, and it's this. Okay? The word can take on flesh. You see this? The, the word can be embodied in a person. The word can come and stand in front of you know, a kid who's going to walk into traffic and say, Stop! Right? And it's more than just letters. It's more than just a sign. It's more than just words being yelled out. Who said that? I don't know. Where'd that come from? It's a physical human person saying, stop, delivering the message of stop. So John, as he thinks about how am I going to communicate Jesus and who he is, he uses the word to describe him. And the reason he uses the word is because God's word is really powerful all throughout the Old Testament. And I'm not just talking about like the Bible. I mean like God's spoken word is really powerful throughout the Old Testament. So the first time we see God's word in the Old Testament is back in the beginning, right? In the beginning was, uh, oh, that's this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And how did he do it? How did God create? Let there be light. He spoke it. So God said something, and it came into creation, and it existed. So God's word in the Old Testament has the power to create and to bring about life. But it's more than that. God is said throughout Scripture to be able to send his word to people. So it says to Jeremiah 1.4, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying this. So God's word is like a message, a timely message that comes and says, you need to do this. Don't do this. This is how you obey me. This is not obeying me. This is the word of the Lord coming to people in a timely way. And not only does it come to us in a timely way, God's word is able to deliver us. So in Psalms we read, he sent out his word and it healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So God's word, when he speaks into creation, it's powerful. It changes things. It creates things. It saves people. And then we get to John, and it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And as we keep reading, we're going to see that the word is going to come down in flesh and here's how Hebrews says it. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So all throughout Old Testament, God is speaking, 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 speaking. Here's what you need to do. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And that doesn't mean that the voice changed, that someone else started talking. It means that his word became a human and came down to earth to teach us and to lead us. So I know this is a kind of an abstract concept to think, why did he say the word? And that's hopefully helpful to understand the word in John, okay? Well, let's keep going here. Is there any questions? Is that helpful? Does that bring it to light a little bit? Okay. Thank you, Alec. Here we go. 
So in the beginning was the word. Point number two is verses two and three. And yet the word interacts at creation. Okay, so let's read verses two and three here. He was in the beginning with God. So in the beginning, again, that calls to mind creation, right? And it's saying when God stood there and spoke things into creation, the word was present with him. The word was there. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus was instrumental in creating everything, okay? Because God spoke everything into creation, let there be light, let there be life, let there be animals, let there be, you know, sun and moon and stars and planets, and Jesus was the word that he was speaking through to make everything. So Jesus is instrumental, he's the agent of all creation is the way we understand it, right? Um, which helps us to discern one thing that, that's helpful for us, which is that Jesus was not created, because you asked that, Aaron, right? Was, does this mean he was created before that? Well, if we're able to say all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made, that's like really powerfully saying Jesus wasn't made. Everything was made through him. He was eternal. He's the one who everything is made. So he was in the beginning with God at creation. And then if we keep reading verses 4 through 9, maybe we'll go back one here. Let's read verses 4 through 9. He says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. You, have you guys studied poetry at school before? All right, so poetry can be a little tricky, right? And the reason poetry is tricky is because poetry can take on meaning, like dual meanings, multiple meanings in the way that we say something. And that's kind of what's happening here. We're wondering, what is John talking about here? Is John talking about creation? You remember how God said, let there be light, and God created humans and there was life in them? Or is he talking about new creation? Is he talking about what Jesus does in the hearts of people who learn about him and start to follow him? So read, re listen to this and think, creation or new creation? In him, the word, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, it could be talking about creation, right? Because when God spoke light into the world, let there be light, it didn't matter how much darkness was out there, the light started to shine and the darkness did not overcome it, right? Light can't be overcome by darkness. But he could also be talking about what Jesus does in the hearts of people, right? That Jesus comes down to bring light into the world and no matter how wicked and awful people are, they're not able to conquer him. Even when they went the distance of murdering him, murdering the light on the cross, they still didn't win. So I think John has actually kind of got a little play on words here, and he's talking about both. He's, he's starting to, to say, there's a story here that I've got to tell you about the word. And it has to do with the light shining in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Let's keep going. He, he says that. And then he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. So here we're introduced to John. Which John is this? 
John the Baptist, right? So John the Baptist comes on the scene. And it's his job to say, the light is coming. The light is here. I'm pointing you to the light. And what does it say in those verses is the reason he's doing that? Why is John pointing us to the light? What was his purpose? Look over it with your eyes there. Read it again. Verses uh, 9 and uh, 9 through 12. Or no, 6 through 8. Sorry. What's the point? That all might believe through him. Remember how I told you John has a point he's trying to make? So here John, the author, has a point he's trying to make. And John the Baptist is the first one who starts to point towards the point, which is, I came to say that the light is coming so that all might believe through him. And then we get to verse 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. So I put this on our little timeline before the Incarnation. The true light, which was coming into the world, was coming, uh, sorry, the true light was coming into the world. He's not there yet, but he's on his way. He's on his way into the world. And it's the light which enlightens everyone. So let's, let's review. We've got the word, God's word, um, eternal. He's the agent of creation. Everything is made through him. He is coming as light a light that's so powerful that the darkness can't overcome it. John is pointing the way to him, um, and he is described here as the true light, the true light. Now, it's interesting to understand that uh, in the Old Testament, light is used in a couple different ways. Light is used to describe God's word, and light is used to describe wisdom. So we've been talking a lot about Proverbs, right? How would, a, how would wisdom kind of be like light? What would you guys say? How might wisdom be described or understood as light? Just in general. Can I give an example? So I'm at a point in my life where there's a lot of moments where I go back to my dad and ask him for advice. And it seems to bring a lot of light and clarity because he's wise and he's been through it before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so wisdom brings light because oftentimes life is foggy and dark and it's hard to know what to do. And then someone speaks wisdom into your life and says, helps to clarify things. And all of a sudden, the choice that you should make is a lot clearer. Does that make sense? So wisdom is like light. God's word is like light. Actually, it's the Torah. The first five books of the Bible is like light in that it's God revealing how people are supposed to live, right? He gives all these laws. He tells who he is, what kind of a God he is, and it's enlightening. And yet Jesus here, I think John has both of those in mind when he says the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. So if Jesus is the true light, does that mean that the Old Testament is the false light? Does it mean that wisdom is, is really not that great after all? Jesus is the true light? No, what he's saying here is Jesus is the true light in the sense that he is the ultimate light. 
He is the best light. He is the clearest light. If you wanted to know who God is, you could read the Old Testament and you would get light. You could get wisdom and you would get light. But if you want to know who God is, Jesus is the ultimate light. He's the ultimate picture of who God is. Okay? So that's the true light. Now to end, in John, Jesus always has a dividing effect upon the people that he interacts with. Jesus is incredibly divisive all throughout John. When he does something, when he says something, it's very often that we get two different responses. And that's exactly what we get here in John's prologue. So let's read the next verse, verse 10. He was in the world, so that's where we are on our timeline, okay? So he was coming into the world, verse 10. He's in the world now. He's in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Where do you see the two responses there? Look down, yeah, Noel. Okay, yeah, so we've got these two responses. One is, some didn't receive him. <clears throat> but on the other hand, some did, and they were given the right to become children of God. So this light comes into the world, the ultimate expression of who God is, and it's met with two immediate responses. So let's talk about that real quick, and then we'll be finishing up here, okay? So first of all, in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. One thing that's helpful for us to understand in John is that when he says the world, he doesn't mean just everybody. John, when he uses the world, he is always talking about sinful humans, rebellious humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We're going to hear that in John 3.16, right? Throughout John, it's talking about those in rebellion against God. So Jesus came from his true home at the Father's side. The word was with God and he came down into the world, the rebellious and sinful world, and though the entire world was made through him, it did not know him. And he came to his own, his own people. Who do you think he's talking about there? Who would have been Jesus' own people? The Jews. And this is, again, where we're getting to the point of John. John is a letter, a very, very long letter, written to Jews. It's written specifically to the Jewish nation so that they might know that Jesus really was the Messiah, the one that they've been waiting for. And so he starts off by saying, Jesus came to his own people, but they did not receive him. And we're going to see that all throughout the gospel. The Jews did not receive him. The Jews were finding ways to kill him. They were plotting against him. But there's this other group. And that other group is those who did receive him. Do you think that was not the Jews? Some of them were not Jews, but some of them were Jews. Okay, so he's not just saying Jesus rejected all the Jews. 
but those other people are those, the Jews who rejected him, and then there are Jews who accepted him, along with Gentiles who accepted him, Samaritan who, woman who accepted him, and, and others, okay? So he, uh, but to those who did receive him, what happens when you receive Christ, when you receive not just, you know, who he is, but all that he is, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So why would he say not of blood, will of the flesh, will of man? Well, because we're going to see that later in John's gospel, Jews are going to come to him and they're going to say, we are the children of Abraham. What gives you the right to tell us that we aren't of the people of God? And so John, right from the start, is saying, it doesn't matter who your daddy is. Okay? It doesn't matter who you were born to. It doesn't matter what race you're a part of. Those who become children of God are not just Jews, but those who receive Jesus. He's redefining what it means to be in the family of God. So we began by saying John's got a point, right? Just like the, uh, the story of the boy who cried wolf. Point is, don't be a liar. Nobody will believe you, especially when you need help. John has a point by saying, all the way back at the beginning, the word was eternal. He came down to earth. He came to give us light. And it's all so that we might believe, so that we might believe. If you guys will turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 30. Go way back to the end. John 20, verse 30. So you, can, you, can you guys see how close you are to the end of the book there? John, in his letter, stops and here's what he says. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may what? Okay, these are written so that you may, these are written so that you may, there we go. So we may believe that Jesus is this Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have in his name. So what's John's point? What's his purpose here? What's, what's helping him to say why, or us to understand why he crafts his gospel the way he does? It's because he's writing this so that you might believe and have life. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So let's get to that. Let's end with this. Why do people usually say, read the Gospel of John? Start with the Gospel of John. I think it's because this is John's purpose. John's purpose is not necessarily to be the easiest one to read, but to be driving the reader to say, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? You have to make a decision as you read this book. You must decide if you believe Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. Okay? And that's John's point and purpose here. Well, let's pray and pray that the Lord would drive that home to us as we study it. Our Heavenly Father, we love this word. We love your word. And so, Lord, we thank you that John has written it for our good and for our behalf so that we might believe and in believing in you, Jesus, as the Christ, the Son of God, we may have life in your name. Lord, I pray that we would discover that uh, faith, that you would grant us that faith as we read this book, and that you would grant us life 
and, and help us to truly understand what that is and not just understand it, but to experience it, to experience life as we study this book. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.